Okay, Sky, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to talk to you because I know very little about you and we've never really interacted. <laughs> when I did my research on you, a little bit of research that I did, um, you have done so many things. And so let's start off with kind of where you're at now in your career. Can you explain to me just a, a quick breakdown of the different things you're involved with? Sure. So I currently own uh, five businesses. Four of them are in the Stanley Marketplace and one of them is about four blocks from the Stanley Marketplace, which is at 25th and Galena Street. Um, the businesses I own in the Stanley Marketplace are Neighborhood Music Stanley, Skybar, I'm a partner in that business, uh, Factory Fashion in the Stanley Marketplace, and then I also own a patio bar here, which is currently inactive. And then up the street, I own a business called Factory 55, which is a black box theater and a community theater program. Oh my gosh, five businesses. I cannot believe yeah. you, you are doing so much. Let me ask you a quick question that, I, that I'm trying to ask all um, the people that I interview here. Do you consider yourself a badass? You obviously are one with all the work you do. Do you see yourself in that light? I mean, sometimes you kind of have to, you have to have a certain level of bravado to like sit across the table from people and negotiate. So you kind of have to pump yourself up. Uh, other times, definitely no, you know woke up this morning it was dreary I felt dreary <laughs> you know as an entrepreneur you're in cycles of winning and losing constantly so I think you kind of toggle back and forth between feeling like queen of the mountain and you know like you're getting trampled all the time so so I think it fluctuates that's typically the response we get is, is definitely the ebb and flow of that too. Yeah. Can you, sure. however far back you want to go with it, kind of take me on your career journey. How did you get to the point where you're owning and running five businesses? Where did you start out? Sure. So I started actually in politics. I was a legislative aide for uh, state Senator Penfield Tate right out of college, actually while I was still in college um, and, you know, worked for him and has have worked for all of his campaigns uh, he ran for mayor in 2003-04, um, worked that campaign and quit my day job for him a couple times, uh, was in corporate sales, put myself through university in corporate sales, so was a full-time worker in a professional environment at 1819. Uh, also did community outreach on Fast Tracks, um, was a principal in a small business that worked on Fast Tracks, and actually and have toggled back and forth between large business corporate sales a few times, kind of going out, doing something like politics or working in a small business and then needing to scurry back to corporate America to financially recover after that. So I've toggled back and forth the corporate sales a few times. Uh, I started my first business neighborhood music on accident in 2012. I had actually decided to become a stay-at-home mom. Um, and within a few months, I had a three-year-old son and was and an 18-month-old um, and was having a hard time kind of uh, balancing all of that. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to take time off. I was also in a full-time graduate school program and working full-time at the time and started Neighborhood Music on accident. I actually started it for my three-year-old son. I was trying to find piano lessons for him. I couldn't find them and finally found a teacher who would take him. And in my zeal to make sure that it was not a painful process for her to train my son at three years old, started developing this sort of curriculum and activities around it 
um, around piano and, and entertaining him through this, this journey. Um, and was also pretty clear that the experience I did not want from him was just a living room experience. Like I wanted a school, I wanted him to be surrounded by other instruments. Um, I wanted him to see other kids playing. I wanted it to be very social and I wanted it to feel like it was part of his life, not something that he did on Monday afternoons at four o'clock and uh, ended up starting a music school in my basement for him. Uh, we exploded pretty quickly. Um, and in my basement is basically right on uh, right off 29th Avenue. <laughs> uh, we started with two little studios in my basement. And then by within two months, we had cut up two more studios and I had eight teachers. And we started in September by the end of November, I had 60 people, 60 students in my house. And by the end of our first year in business, we had like 150. So despite that, I kept pretending like it wasn't a real business and that it wasn't something I was gonna do. And so we ended up staying in my house for three years. And by the end, I had like 250 people in my house and it was, it was chaos, but it also like escalated slowly, you know? And so we had sort of gotten used to it. And then we raised the bar a little, gotten used to it. Um, but I ended up adopting my third child uh, and once I came home with my son, it was clear I could not have someone on the third floor playing the drums. And we moved into our first commercial space, which is the 25th and Galena location that I later took back over and turned into a black box theater. So I built it initially as my music school. We were there for about three years. And then we moved neighborhood music into the Stanley Marketplace. And then I went back during COVID, took that space back over and, and turned it into a real black box. So. How, how with this, you kind of said you're an accidental entrepreneur, which I think happens a lot. Um, how, <laughs> how did you figure out the business side of things that you could do this? Did you have experience previously with education in that? Do you have family that have been entrepreneurs? Like, how did you, how did you manage that? Absolutely not. I had nothing. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I was completely wet behind the ears, which I think is helpful. You know, there was just, we, we just did it. Um, I also have never, I own quite a few businesses now and have never taken any, have never studied in any of the fields of any of the businesses I own. So I don't play a musical instrument. I've literally never taken a music lesson. Um, at this point, taking a music lesson would just be weird. Everybody would be intimidated by it, you know, working with the boss. So uh, yeah, we just, I just started building the business I wanted for my son. And in doing that was defining what I wanted for, you know, all kids. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, like it was crazy, but it was also fun. Like when we were in my house, there were people on my front porch and people on my back porch and people, you know, hanging out like reading the paper on my couch or sitting at my dinner table, eating our Brussels sprouts. <laughs> like there was, it was just a lot of people around all the time who were very intimately involved in our lives in this, you know, bohemian environment, which PS I am not. Um, so it was fun in retrospect. It also seems completely crazy. Uh, and occasionally I still bump into people in the grocery store who were like, oh, you want a music school? There used to be this crazy lady who had a music school in her house. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that does sound nuts. Um, by the end, we, we in our first year at Neighborhood Music, we also started 
a theater program. And so by the end of our first summer, we were actually producing full musicals in my backyard, like sets, tech, full bands, um, costume changes. And, you know, I just remember like right before a big show, one of our neighbors popping over um, and just being like, will you be singing Little Mermaid every Saturday morning at seven o'clock in the morning? <laughs> is this unique or is this gonna be happening? And what about the Beatles? Will you be singing them at nine o'clock in the morning? <laughs> and the answer is yes, we will be doing that. You know, so that was kind of our our start. We we had really great community support and um, were afforded this very personal way to interact with our neighbors and our children for you know since that began. So wonderful. So then take me from that to when you started obviously seeing yourself as an entrepreneur and a businesswoman and to your kind of opening the, I mean, going from well, running one business is, and I don't know on, the, on that level, it, it takes an intent, takes over your life, I'm sure. How did sure. you then say, I want to do this again in a different way and capacity? How did that work where you, where you started your next business? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it just, I'll be honest, like most of it after Neighborhood Music, which is obviously 10, 12 years old now, um, neighborhood music and theater, a lot of it evolved during COVID and it was survival instinct. And we sort of looked up and a lot of our teachers, not a lot of them, all of our teachers who had, you know, full summers gigging at weddings or had regular gigs. And we were, we've always been sort of the part-time job, stable job um, that afforded the luxury of pursuing yourself as a musician or as an actor. Um, which I think is a really special place to be um, when you can help an artist find balance in that way. Um, but we woke up, you know, March 12th, and all of a sudden everybody was unemployed, except for the people who worked for me. And I just started really innovating and creating really fast. So, um, you know, as an example, Swallow Hill completely shut down. And a lot of the teachers who had been there were now calling me because at one point or another, I'm sort of like the sixth degree of separation of, of musicians in Denver. Like you've probably worked for me at some point in the last 13 years, um, whether doing something small or working for me six to eight years, which is our average lifeline of our teacher. And so everyone started calling me. And so our own teachers were coming back to me and saying, hey, I need, you know, I, I've just lost my revenue. And then all these other people were coming to me too. And so at that point, we started massively innovating, um, creating programs, um, creating opportunities. And because we had shut down and moved people into their homes, we suddenly also had this flexibility that we did not have in the studio to do that. So I'm not hammered, I wasn't hampered by, okay, I've got X amount of studios, I can only put this many people to work you know, these people could work as much as they wanted, you know, I just had to like create the opportunities to fill them. And so that was pretty much how it started. Just all hell broke loose survival wise for COVID. Um, and, you know, I started a ton of theater programming. I started a, ton of, started a ton of music programming. And then we also started some crazier stuff. Like we started doing a massive learning pod at Stanley Marketplace where we were teaching mm -hmm. Um, you know, like I want to say 12 different pods of students. And part of that was because I had a bunch of unemployed teachers who, you know, needed day jobs, right? And so 
you know, we, that was the first real off topic innovation. And that just led to a bunch of other stuff. Um, the other real reason was that the Stanley marketplace was just brilliant and they were the perfect, um, nurturers and partners and came to me March 12th on the afternoon and said, you know, how do we keep you alive? Like, what do you need? And once we opened back up, what we needed was space. You know, it's like, now I can only have 10 students in a room in theater. Um, I can only have, it has to be ventilated. Like there were all these rules. And they basically said to me, any space that's open in the marketplace is yours. Like you can lay claim to any space that's opened. And you had a whole lot of businesses that were shutting down and inside or outside. And the Stanley just has a lot of landscape. And I just did it. <laughs> like we just took everything. We just went. And so when COVID, when real world started to come back into play, you know, at the end of December, like December, 2020, um, I had all these programs that were too big for a space in Stanley. Like number one, we couldn't operate, you know, a theater program in our 30 by 30 space that we had been in the marketplace. And I either had to reduce these programs um, which were bigger than ever because we had so many students who were dedicated to what we were doing. Um, and this was the thing that they were doing, you know, so I either had to shut them down, you know, put our teachers back out of work or expand. And at that point I went up the street, I retook over my old space and named it factory five, five and built the black box. Um, the idea was that, you know, with arts businesses, you're always having to diversify your revenue streams. And so the idea was that I would do this fashion school, I would do this film school, this photography school, and then we already had this pretty large pre-existing theater program, and this is how I was going to pay the rent. And part of what happened was the fashion school blew up, like within, like I opened it and it blew up, boom. It was just, it just happened. And also as somebody not in the industry did not realize that the space did not work for what we needed you know, you need these giant industrial tables. And I, I'm actually in fashion right now in the Stanley marketplace and I can kind of give you a spin around and you can see it, but we needed these giant industrial tables. We needed these, you know, this perimeter around ironing boards and, you know, this just completely different work environment than I had estimated. And so I had teachers like on the floor ironing and cutting which was ridiculous. They're, you know, we're all the same age, um, most of us. And, uh, you know, it became very clear that I had to get it out. And so I ended up within three months moving factory fashion into another space in the same building and then moving it into the Stanley marketplace in September of this past year. So, um, you know, that's, that's the crux of it. Um, some of the other businesses I started along the way were to support artists in other ways. So I started on neighborhood music. We had a 900 square foot patio. I started a patio bar with another partner with the idea that all my teachers had lost their gigs and we could pay them to gig, right? We could pop, pop them out there and, and gig. So it was sort of a means to an end. Um, and then through that process, uncovered another opportunity to open Sky Bar in the Stanley Marketplace. Um, and at that point, Stanley was just like standing on the roof, like throwing leases at me. And I was just signing them, you know, I was like, sure, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, just total free for all. So we started 
Stanley, we, we also signed the lease of Skybar and started construction for Skybar in that same year that I opened Factory 5.5. So a lot of it's just being, uh, you know, having, being wet behind the ears and having sort of the bravado of like men like Kanye who run for president, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> you do these things and then afterwards you're just like, what, who do I think I am? What am I doing, you know? <laughs> Well, I, so, want, I want to find out where, where that bravado came from because that because I first of all that's a first that anybody's compared themselves to Kanye or so use Kanye I, in this, I, interview, please I'm great. not like really comparing myself to Kanye I'm just saying like you know at some point I was just like yeah I could start a bar I could do that fashion school yeah got it you know that was me and at the end of 2020 20, 2021 but most of it was really just fight or flight survival instincts, you know, understanding that I needed to, you know, sprawl in as many ways as possible to keep people working and, and keep ourselves alive. So, you know, probably less bravado, more like cold, hard fear. <laughs> where, where, and so. so, but, but I do see um, the confidence in yourself. It's, it's obvious to me that you're not, you're not the first one you're thinking about in all these situations, which I think is a really amazing way to do it because you're driven by something that's bigger than you. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's very um, valiant and I really respect that. And so with that though, even going back when you're even younger, I'm sure you didn't see yourself where you're at now because it sounds like your path is very, very different than you thought. But do you see things in different experiences that you had while you're younger, whether in school or work or just life that help give you this kind of awareness that you, I mean, you're just obviously so forward charging in general. Have you always been that way? Or is that something you picked up along the way? Parenthood could be a part of that. Like what, how, yeah. how'd you get this way? You know, it's interesting because I actually, I'm actually estranged and I, and part of the reason that I'm estranged is that I have this very conservative traditional, you know, family. And really what I was supposed to do was eke my way through high school and then get married and then have kids and, when I opted against that and charged off to um, go to college by myself, you know, got on a one-way ticket plane to go to college and maneuvered that whole process kind of by myself. It was sort of the beginning of the end of that, you know, very comp complex relationship. Um, but I will say in the history of my family, there have been a whole lot of black sheep females. Um, my great aunt, who was also estranged, um, married a, a black man in the 50s. And that's how they ended up coming to Denver, Colorado, was that it was one of the places where you could legally get a marriage license as an interracial couple. And so I randomly met my aunt, my great aunt and my second cousin um, at a funeral, like very randomly. And uh, my second cousin had also sort of forged a similar path and was an investment banker at the time. It was just like, get the hell out of here, <laughs> um, get on a plane, come to Denver, go to school. And, uh, and I did three months later. So, so to your point about had anyone influenced me, like definitely that was a, a lightning bolt that struck my tr tree. And, you know, my great aunt definitely carved her own path and just two two fingers to anybody who told her what to do. So I definitely think there's some generational piece to that where some of us just have the gene. <laughs> so anyway, I guess I got it. But you wouldn't have known that until you would not have known that if you knew me as a child. I was pretty meek. So anyway.
And I think that people, and one thing I would like women who listen to this and people who listen to this in general to learn too, is I don't think it needs to be at whatever phase of life, right? You can still get into this later and do and do and pursue your yeah. own path later. And we're running across that a lot. Uh, one question that maybe you can help people with is you are obviously so busy. How the hell do you manage your time? How are you uh, present with your family? Like, how do you deal with all that part of your work? It's complicated. You know, it's, it's never, like, it's never balanced. You know, I had just um, posted on my Facebook page yesterday about this sort of conversation that I have constantly. And I also find that other women entrepreneurs have constantly about where people ask you if you're a control freak or people ask you if you delegate, like, are you willing to delegate? And it's really all the same thing. It's really all time management and how you choose to, to, to spend your life. And I tend to delegate less because it's more efficient from a time standpoint, which frees me up to do some other things. Does that make sense? So it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, but I find that I have to, I have to focus on things one at a time. You know, I focus on one business, uh, for a period of time. I focus on, um, you know, I have to choose to focus on my family and, you know, shut, put the blinders on and shut down to the rest of the world in order to be fully present. Um, I actually barely, barely made it to this interview because I was at an appointment with my daughter this morning that was supposed to be 30 minutes and was two and a half hours. And I just, you know, was like staring off into space, like twitching, (laughs) thinking, you know, how do I make the rest of my day work? How am I going to get to this? You know, how am I going to get upstairs and get my computer on and pretend like I'm cool in this interview? And so I, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel it's a struggle, you know, and and you can't be all things in all places. You do the best that you can and you accept, you know, that you're not going to be 100% anywhere. You know, um, it's tough. I, um, to peel back my curtain, our son is homesick today and my wife is a teacher. And so this is her first week off of school. And so she was oh. so excited to be living her life and having time when <laughs> she like, doesn't have. What? <laughs> and so then my son came down here and he's upstairs currently watching TV because I, I needed that for, for him to be able to do it. And so, yeah. yeah, the balancing, but I think men's responsibilities and societal responsibilities and pressure on us is completely different from that. Um, but you talked about shutting off. And then one thing I think also too, is when you find something that you're this passionate about, first of all, I think you're incredibly lucky to have found that. And I'm in that same boat too, is when you find something, you, it's impossible to turn your brain off from it. And yes. you've got so much going on. Are there tips and tricks that you do? You talked about putting blinders on and kind of shutting off. Is there a way that you do not work all the time or is it just not feasible? How, how do you, I know it's a constant struggle, but help, help, help me do better too. And I'll try to work with you. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm in three startups. Um, so you know, and I have good teams everywhere. So to be clear, you know, this is not a function of not having strong people behind me and capable people around. We have that. There's still startups. And so Factory 5.5, Factory Fashion and Skybar are all startups. So it's really unrealistic to think that I'm not going to be working all the time right now. Um, When I Kanye'd my way into this, Uh, You know, my thought process as somebody who's started projects and explored was like, 
I'm going to go ahead and do this and have a really painful year to year to two years and just like, and then get my life back again. So I'm going to rip this bandaid off, get it over with and just have pain and suffering for a year to a year and a half. So I did not walk into it with blinders. Um, you never really know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, it's like, it's like having a child, you know? Um, but you know, I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask right now. Catch me in January. Cause I've decided that by January, everything's going to be nice and stable and cool. So we'll play again and I'll tell you how that went. <laughs> so uh, I anyway, appreciate, I appreciate the honesty. And I, I think it yeah. is near impossible. I've, I've played with kind of hours and trying to work more business hours, but then stuff comes up all the time or, yeah. but what I, what I need to do better of is when I am physically with my kids and my wife, that mentally that's where I am because I've no, I'm not doing anything for my business at that point. Anyways, I need to be there and the other in stuff. The game. So that's something I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah. And I think, you know, my older two kids, my son's uh, officially a freshman in high school as of tomorrow. And my daughter is going into eighth grade and the clock's ticking, you know, my time with, with these kids and, you know, my eight-year-old's like, obviously these are the most important years of his life too. And so, you know, there's a, there's an end and my son is going to move out and start his own life. And, you know, he's not going to live in my basement. I feel pretty confident about that. He's not that kid, neither is my daughter. So, you know, there's a finite amount of time that I, that I have left with them. And I'm constantly aware of that. You know, I'm aware of that weight of feeling like if I'm not taking advantage of every moment that it's gone. And, you know, at this point, you know, they don't come back. So, so anyway, it's, it's an interesting time, you know. One, one way to, to possibly do both. And it's something I haven't done, but we've got an eight-year-old and a five and a half-year-old. So not necessarily there yet, but my parents never really talked to me. They're wonderful parents who never talked about money or business and things like that. Yeah. Are yeah. you with your kids getting older? Are you involving them in the business and teaching them that side of it and bonding with them over that? Or is it? you separate them. I, they're just they're just in it you know it, it's not really like we sit down and talk about it it's it's the life that they lead and they completely you know and they absorb and ask questions but also I you know my daughter's so clearly an entrepreneur um she hit me a couple of weeks ago with you know, I want to start a book club. And I was like, yay, like every parent wants to hear that, you know, yay, let's start a book club. Like this is, everything's going so well, this is perfect. And she was like, you know, I'm going to pick the book. I'm going to schedule the activities. This is her mom, you know, runs a bunch of classes for kids, right? I'm going to pick the book. I'm going to schedule the activities. And at the end of it, I was like, but you're reading the book and talking about it with your friends. She's like, no, 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 no. I want to run the book club. Like, I don't, and, you know, I was busy, like judging, judging, judging. And then at the same time, I was like, right, I don't sew, I don't act, I don't take music lessons, like, uh, you know, like, it's, I guess I can't really get in the judge category here. <laughs> so because you're kind of chipping off the old block here. So yeah, her, her reflexes, entrepreneurial reflexes are pretty, um, pretty strong. Um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't even say this. I can't believe I'm going to say this publicly because I'm going to get myself in trouble. But uh, about a year ago, she also was running a, a cookie stand for a certain very large cookie brand at a certain time of the year and discovered that you know, she's kind of doing it all on her own and discovered she could upsell. 
<laughs> and so she discovered there was demand for certain cookies and it like, like I got the register at the end of the night and I was like, this, these numbers are not correct. And she was like, she had basically like responded to the market by upselling these cookies <laughs> and, you know, affect, you know, adjusting the prices and was charging people more for certain brands and stuff and put some on sale and literally like like a hundred people I had to call back and like <laughs> renegotiate. So we didn't get in trouble with this very large organization. Um, and I was like, we can't do that. But also I was just like, right on, you know, <laughs> like, well done kid. Like way to, way to, way to get in the game. So anyway, with, like she's reflect, being, reflexively very there. So with that being your daughter, um, as you've come up in business and entrepreneurship, you seem like you don't care, but as being a woman in probably rooms, which are typically male dominated, um, what has that been like for you and how do you push through that? Yeah, I mean, I think people say stupid things to you on a regular basis, you know, and, and it's surprising because um, I'm also, I'm 48 years old. So a lot of the people I'm at the table with are, you know, can be in their 30s. So they're younger. And I, you know, I feel like you're young, you're woke, you know better. Um, but some of the questions that have like really knocked me off balance, um, you know, I've been at the negotiating table and had someone ask me, well, what does your husband think about you closing this deal? And I'm like, are you, I'm sorry, are you kidding me? Like, have you ever been asked that question? Like, has anyone ever gone to you in the middle of a deal and said, what does your wife think about this? You know? Um, and, and it's a weird situation to be in because, you know, obviously I'm a, a feminist, you know, I, you know, am a supporter of women and a promoter of women. Um, and you're in this spot where you're like, do I smack this hand and potentially um, damage this deal, right? Or do I uh, not respond and um, you know let this fly by and let it happen again? And so you're sort of like frozen in that moment, uh, which women have been frozen in for time. <laughs> making that decision on the fly of, of whether you're the women of women's Avenger or, or just tolerating it and closing the deal that you need to close and moving on. Um, you know, and again, I kind of alluding to a Facebook post I just made a couple days ago, but I think this, like how often do men get asked if they're control freaks? Um, how often do men get asked um, if they're uncomfortable delegating? you know, like the assumption is you're in charge, you're in control. It doesn't make you a freak. You're just in control. But when women are in control, there's this like other level to it. Um, and, and also delegation, like this idea that you're not comfortable in an environment where you're managing and, and sparsing out uh, in the same way that, that men are. I think, you know, that stuff happens all the time and it's really shocking. Um, I've had someone tell me, recently like in the last two years that it was my job to sit and look pretty um which i you know you can insert many many cuss words here <laughs> you know and you're, i was just like Gah! you know um so that's happened in the last the last few years um i've had people tell me well you just handle that and i'll handle this side you know kind of like this is the man's side that's like the woman's side and again all of this stuff has happened in the near past um, and it's shocking. So that being said, I also think that 
you know, we're raising a generation that is, you know, my son and, you know, my daughter are definitely genderless in their perception of who does what and how it happens. And so, um, you know, the next generation's down, I think, you know, I think, I think equality is, it's near. <laughs> so we just have some habits to break. Yeah, I agree that the next generation, I'm, I'm ready for them to be in charge as soon as possible so they can totally. make a lot of changes that, that we're totally. not Totally, they're, they're so much smarter, you know? They're just so much smarter, so. Um, and more yeah. exposed to differences and, and, and than ever. So I'm, I'm excited for that and we need that, we need it. Um, so with that though, with, with women, do you have, and have you had throughout this process, I think mentorship is a huge deal. I've never really been in a mentor mentee relationship. I've mentored a lot of our, the women that I work with in my program, but um, never really had a mentor. And I think it's something that I'm really missing. Have you had throughout this journey mentors that you've been able to talk to about these things? I mean, you're talking about like your tightrope that you're walking in and that is very relevant and very real. How, how have you had yeah. mentorship? I mean, I think that, you know, fellow women in general are mentors. Like, have I had my, my second cousin again, who was the investment banker definitely taught me a lot of rules, you know, and some of those rules, and again, she's a generation above me. She's technically my mother's age. And some of those rules were um, like, you know, you don't cry in front of people, <laughs> um, which I do try not to do. I am trained. Um, but again, those are old school rules, right? Um, or, you know, uh, some of the, some of the stuff that I think was most beneficial that I probably learned from her was, you know, she was super militant about, you know, no manipulation, no passive aggressive behavior, no whininess, no, like, you know, kind of these more traditional characteristics of, of weaker personalities, um, and always being direct and straight up, like, like I definitely, um, feel like she trained those bad behaviors out of me, um, which I'm super grateful for, you know? Uh, so she was definitely a big force in my life, but there's literally so many women and men who advise me on a daily basis, um, younger, older, way younger, um, that I think are super valuable when they come to the table. And, and so it's a pretty vast network. Um, of, of people that I feel like are, are involved in my growth, continued growth. So. Yeah. You, and you seem like you're very confident with who you are and very much you are who you are, which I think is, is wonderful. And not a lot of people, I go back and forth on nature, nurture, and it's obviously a combination, but uh, yeah. one other thing I wanted to ask you was, do you see women, successful women in business that don't have your I mean, you seem like you are a take charge type of person and, and you are comfortable doing that. Do you see people with, um, that are kind of no less or still maybe uh, them, their own selves, but I don't know what the, what the adjective I'm looking for, um, not yeah. as outgoing in that capacity. Do you connect with a lot of them or do you, do you see that sure. at your level? Yeah. I mean, I do think what makes you successful is being yourself and, you know, definitely, when I'm training into management, like that's one of the things I say, one of the things I always say is, this is how I would handle this situation, but you are your own human and you need to handle this situation in a way that makes you most comfortable, right? You communicate in a way that makes you most comfortable because if it's not comfortable, then it's not, you know, a genuine exchange. And so you need to figure out who you are and how you communicate. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that you have to 
um, be a big personality to be successful. I don't think you have to be aggressive. You know, obviously you can't, I, I can't imagine a scenario in small business where you're not a hard worker. <laughs> like, I don't know how you would get away with that. I would love to, to talk to the people who are not working that hard and successful because that sounds great. Um, but in general, I think everything else is on the table from a personality standpoint, you know, you get to be who you want to be and that's how you actually are more successful is when you're comfortable in your own skin, whatever that skin may be. So. Wonderful. Um, tell me more about Skybar. I, I, I have seen sure. your stuff online a little bit and it seems like an amazing concept. Can you tell me where the idea came of that and how's that, how's that going? Yeah, it's uh, Skybar is going great. I mean, it's in, it's inter interesting. Um, you know, it's it's a small bar. It's four hundred square feet, uh, and I initially was really nervous about that. You know, I was just sort of preparing people for the fact that we had a small bar, um, and I think part of that is because everything we do in theater and music and fashion is so big. You know, we have big fashion shows, we have big theater productions, we have recitals with 250 people. And so suddenly I had this like small little corner of the universe um, where I was just like, oh gosh, this is gonna be a problem. Um, but it's not, people love it. They love the intimacy of it. Um, they love that it's, uh, you know, a, a craft cocktail bar that's 21 and up and that there's this one, you know, tiny little place, you know, where you can go without your kids and have a sweet little date night and not, drive all the way downtown for um, the views are the views are beautiful. And then on top of that, I have two really wonderful partners, um, uh, which has also been a learning experience. I haven't had a ton of partners in like direct partners in my life. And so uh, that's been a really interesting experience for me. And then we also have this incredible bar team, one of which is here. So I'm bragging on her while she's in the room. Um, but just a force of, of, you know, of experience and, and um, bring so much to the table that it is going very well, you know, as a startup, like, so when I say I'm in startups, I'm not counting that one really, because it kind of feels like it's going pretty well. So knock on wood knock on wood so that's yeah. awesome it's it's aviation themed and tell me more about that too because I found that fascinating it's very interesting yeah so the the partners are Patrick McMichael he's an architect um and has been my architect for like 10 years and Brandley Brandy Shigley and Brandy is also a fashion person she owns Fashion Denver and manages a a pretty large label called uh, Bradley Allen and uh turns out Brandy was dating my architect. <laughs> and so when I started factory fashion, I went looking for her and because I needed factory fashion advice and I was trolling her on the internet and I kept seeing my architect in the same photos with her. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And it turned out they're dating. So I, uh, so Brandy and Patrick showed up to a meeting um, and we started Skybar together. And when we first had the, the round of ideas for Skybar, it was going to be this very kitschy, like 60s Pan Am theme bar. And, you know, we were going to wear little outfits and go-go boots and blah, 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 blah. And I kind of err on the side of mod anyway. So Randy and I were all into it, you know? And then we really started to think about like the equality piece of that. Like we don't want to be the next Hooters. You know, we don't want to be a place where we're like, here's your tiny little skirt and your uncomfortable shoes. Welcome to work, you know? Um, and so we sort of evolved out of almost immediately this requirement of clothing 
um, and wanted our people who were working for us to feel just very comfortable and to be themselves. And then we also didn't want it to be kitsch. Like we wanted it to be more modern and luxe and the kind of place where you can show up in your shorts and t-shirt and have a really good cocktail, but also the kind of place that you could have a cocktail dress on and go and hang, um, but not feel like you had to have that cocktail dress on to go hang. And so it's just a really beautiful space. Um, the craft cocktail menu is designed by um, Jellybone Bar Team, which also owns uh, Yacht Club and a couple of other bars. Um, uh, one member of that team also did the cocktail menu for Annette. And so, you know, it has this completely delicious cocktail menu that feels very elevated, not to make airplane, you know, airplane. Uh, little jokes but um the first time I had our cocktail there I was just like oh gosh oh, oh this is so good you know it kind of changes your perspective on stuff um but we're really proud of it and we're really proud of the people that work there and and of our relationship together and what we've built and so it's it feels pretty good and it's got gorgeous views so we don't have um a happy hour our Patrick Pike uh our partner Patrick came up with something called the golden hour where it's really a moving happy hour where it, when the sun goes down, the sun sets, if you're lucky enough to be there, then it's happy hour. You know, you're, you're there for the golden viewing hour, but it's a moving target. So kind of fun. That is very cool. Did that feel now that we're at least figuring out life with COVID a little bit better? Was it different when you launched that than your previous businesses? Because we're, out that did that feel more monumental in another way or any way you mean as opening a business in covid or you as just, opening... when did you open that up so that literally just opened yeah so, so like now that we're now that you see that hopefully there's an end in sight as you see did that is that yeah philosophically does it feel different yeah i mean i think that and again when we when we were operating during covid in june 2020 am i making years up right now but when we first rolled out of quarantine and started operating again um you know we were coming to work in like hazmat suits you know and um basically everyone who worked for me had made an agreement we had all agreed that none of us were doing anything but working does that make sense? Like we wouldn't go to restaurants, we wouldn't go to concerts inside or outside. We wouldn't gather with people outside of the people that we worked with because we were putting each other at risk. And so that was sort of an unspoken word, which worked. Um, we ran summer camps, you know, where we had uh, tons and tons of kids and never had an outbreak. And then also had super tight quarantine policies. Um, and I bought everything I could, like the whole genre of, of you know of ppe like plexiglass shields and masks and sanitizer and you know at one point i pulled up to the back of a alley restaurant supply place and like was putting gallons of sanitizer in my trunk like i was on some big drug deal <laughs> and was just like skulking out of there um, like that's that was covid and you know i think people are so much more chill about it now like i think at this point um, you know, people understand that you get it. You're not, you don't have like the dark mark when you get it, like people get it. And, uh, we know how to behave around it and we know how to protect ourselves if we choose and how to expose ourselves if we choose. Right. So, 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't a huge, you know, differential from opening every other business was, you know, that I was opening peak COVID was definitely, you know, a constant conversation, you know, it just, it was constant. That was, we were just on COVID patrol all the time. So, so yeah. Um, how do you, I want to pick your brain for my personal, um, nature and for anybody else listening to on leadership, how do you, you have a lot of employees, um, managing that or managing your teams. And as you've grown, how you manage being more farther away from the kind of frontline people and just kind of yeah. motivation in general, how do, how do you deal with managing your teams? It's hard to balance because you, you know, when you're in it, like your people feel very valued, they feel nurtured, they may not need you to lead them in terms of doing their jobs. But, you know, it's sort of the relationship of, of feeling supported and feeling like they're in an environment of being supportive. So it's complicated, you know, um, in our, our, in factory five, five and factory fashion, I'm very present, you know, very present in neighborhood music. I have the luxury of having a really good, strong administrative team that, you know, has been in and out of it for uh, like, we've been refining our processes for, for 12, 13 years. And so um, I get to be a little further away from that. Um, but, uh, you know, like I, it's complex. You step away and a lot of times you feel like as you're stepping away, like that piece of what your company was starts to evolve into something different. And people like it and don't like it, you know, like some people come in and they're part of your new guard Mm -hmm. and, you know, this is, this is the business and this is the business they've signed up for and it's fine. And then, you know, I have people at neighborhood who've been with me for 12 years, who've been with me since I've started, who hate that I have all these other businesses now. Like, you know, I've gone out with them for, for dinner and, you know, they've basically said, I don't appreciate that you're not standing up in front of the room all the time right now. And that you're, you know, it seems like we don't matter anymore. I'm like, you guys totally matter. But PS, this was the whole point. Like the whole point of small business was that at some point you were going to be able to walk away from it. And it feels like 12 years is a really good amount of time that I was in the game. Now I should be able to go. Um, So, so yeah, it's still a balancing act, you know, of, of, of trying to, to figure out how to stay present and then also completely let go. <laughs> so where do you see yourself going from here? You've done all this stuff, you've accomplished all this, but you're also still building, 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 building. Where, where do you see your life going from here? Where do you want it to go? Well, I'm done. You know, I got it out of my system. There's no more businesses coming. Um, party's over. That's definitely over. I definitely got that out of my system. So you know, I'm also third quarter, like that's the whole thing about like being 48 um, is that you recognize you're in third quarter of your life and um, you start to see the end. And so in general, I think I've created a lot of businesses that were built for their employee, that were built for my employees. You know, like we, we're businesses that um, educate and train and require a lot of love and nurturing. And so really somebody has to love it to move forward. And so I hope that I'm building businesses that my employees want to take over is kind of where I'm at. Um, but I'm definitely staring, you know, down the tunnel and trying looking for the end for sure. Um, 
So want to build them, want them to be stable, and then also hope that I'm building something that someone will pick up and, and carry forward as well. So, but no more new businesses ever. This is being recorded and I, well, we'll see if that's, we'll see oh, if okay. that's the Touché. case. Touche. <laughs> no, I mean, I do see, I could, yeah, you, I do have that fantasy where I like wake up and, you know, have sold everything and I'm on the beach. Like that's there. It's there. Um, it's in there. I, I'll tell you that. So, um, but you know, obviously the, the things that we do are super fun. That's the other piece is it's not like I'm, um, you know, and I don't want to negate anyone else's career, but I think my worst case scenario would be to be an accountant. <laughs> um, I don't know if I could do that. And, you know, that's not what's happening here. There's a lot of creation, including in the bars, you know, there's so much creativity and, in, in what they're doing and, you know, they're creating menus and cocktails and experiences. Um, and then obviously artistically we're creating more in all our other businesses and being part of a creative process and and that's exciting and fulfilling so so it's not like i'm bored um you know it's still all very creative and it all regenerates constantly you know every three months we're in a new theater production every couple of weeks we're designing something new for some fashion show and so you know keeping yourself in a very innovative environment i think is definitely definitely helps you stay committed for the long term so yeah I think that first of all I've got an issue with your math with your third quarter I'm, I'm going to 100 so you're you're you know, uh, you're in the wrong I quarter I don't know if I need that I don't know if I need to go all the way to 100 um you know I definitely want I definitely want the natural progression of of grandbaby and sailing around the world and all that other junk that's supposed to happen you know, what, 15 years from now? When does this happen? Um, I want all that, but I don't know if I need to be 100. I don't want to be brittle and frail and, you know, so. And, and another thing that I think that you made me think of too is the accounting. I think that, yeah, probably wouldn't be comfortable being in the position you are. And that's one of the most wonderful things about people and how different we all are. And I think people yeah. very much look at entrepreneurship as a glamorous life, um, and a sexy life and all these different things, but it's, it's so much work. And one thing that I've noticed when I, um, left my, I was an educator and I'll probably go back to education at some point, but salary job, consistent work hours, I was able to turn it off in that way. But then when I found my passion and, and like we talked about, there are a lot of tough parts with that too. And there's a lot to be yeah, said for clocking totally. out and you, you never, you never get that. So there certainly isn't for everybody. Um, but it certainly is for you. <laughs> you certainly found Yeah. I mean, and you do, you do crazy stuff, you know, like you, you scrape gum off the floor, you clean up, you know, uh, you know, kid vomit sometimes, you know, sometimes not, it doesn't have, don't freak out people. It doesn't happen very often, but you know, things happen where you're just like, I, you know, I'm like, I have an MBA, you know, like sometimes I have that thought, that thought with myself, um, you take out the trash, you, you know, yesterday, a couple of days ago, I, lob this giant bag of trash toward the dumpster which exploded on the front of the dumpster and like splashed me and I was like ah small business you know um you have plenty of those moments that are completely and utterly unsexy you know plenty of moments where you're curled up in the fetal position in the shower just like not ready for it you know <laughs> like not ready for the day so you know you you get a little bit of everything I think so 
is one of the things you get other entrepreneurs, and I'll leave it with this, other entrepreneurs I've talked to are, and especially I think female entrepreneurs are so focused on moving forward, moving forward, problem solving, know that it's never going to be good forever, that they're constantly kind of ready for yeah. the next thing. And that's why, why they've been successful. Are you able to smell the roses a little bit and be appreciative of what you've built and, and your success? Are you, is that not your style? Have you done celebrations? Um, you know, I think you, yeah, you're always like throwing the salt and, you know, when something really triumphant and wonderful happens, like, like there's definitely afterglow, like seconds of afterglow. Um, and I, you know, I told, I tell my staff, like with, with kids specifically, and we do a lot of adult stuff too, but with kids specifically, you get to see that, you know, you get like, you go to a recital and you watch this child like get on stage and you can tell they're completely petrified to do most of the time to do what they're up there to do. And then there's a moment after they do it where they like pop up and they're like, oh my God, like I just did that. And then it's magnificent. And, you know, those moments are just like super powerful for me where I'm just like, right, you know, at the end of the day, um, we're building humans we're giving them these experiences that are platforms for their next level of experiences. Um, and, you know, or they take a bow at the end of a theater program or they watch their, you know, we were in, we showed at Denver Fashion Week this past year with factory fashion and watching these kids watch their designs on the runway was, it was psychotic, you know? I was just like, I can't believe these kids just did that. And so those moments are super powerful. Um, and even having these conversations about, you know, what it was like to have people in my house, you know, 10 years ago or my backyard 10 years ago. And, and now to be sitting on top of, you know, five businesses, uh, arts businesses and a, and a couple bars, which literally never occurred to me, I would do. Um, yeah. I mean, I, th I think those are important moments, but, but yeah, it all seems very volatile always and scary. <laughs> so you never get, you never really get comfortable. So the opposite of that is that I think you also understand you can survive anything, you know, like, I mean, we just survived COVID. Like that is like the weirdest knock on wood again, weirdest thing that, you know, that was random <laughs> and weird and who knew we were going to have to survive COVID. Um, and so you get into all these situations where, everything seems intense and, you know, things aren't going well and then you survive it and you move on and, and you get really comfortable, you know, failure happens all the time. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so the opposite of that is true too. Like you're just sort of like, what if a lot with when all with, hell breaks loose. So with me, it was one of the things was that tomorrow and our way of life isn't promise in this war and Ukraine is like yeah. that too. And like that you, need to do the things that you've wanted to do for yourself. And so that's my last thing. I want you to talk to anybody out there who is thinking about starting their own business or following their dreams. And what would you say to, to specifically to women who have been thinking about starting a business for years or just kind of pursuing something that may not be as well laid out with society or, or even respected by society? What would you say to women like that? Sure. So what I would say to anyone um, is you know, and, and don't take this piece of advice I'm about to put out there right now, but really my business plan is just like, how can I have as much fun as possible? Like, 
how, what do I want to do? That sounds like a lot of fun. Okay. That's a business I'm going to start. I'm going to have a lot of fun there. So not, a, not the right business plan necessarily for everyone, but you know, at the end of the day, if you're working this hard, you should also be having fun. Um, but the, the thing I would say is there's no reason not to, like, you could blow it. You could fail. You could, uh, suffer financially. You could, you know, your whole life could be, uh, up or it could be upside down and whatever it is, it's a part of your life. That's a platform for whatever comes next. And, um, you know, I think specifically failure is the, is the best, like do it, get it over with. It's great. You know, it helps you learn and be more successful, but there's no reason not to do it. You're going to survive, you know, you're going to survive. And even if your business doesn't survive, you're still going to have so many skills for whatever you do next, which probably will survive. You know what I mean? So just do it. Like there's, there's no fear. Um, there's no reason to be fearful. Um, just get in there, give it a shot. So that's kind of how we, every day we just throw stuff against the wall, <laughs> you know, and we're like, okay, that works. That didn't work. It's fine. So um, put yourself out there and don't let anyone tell you not to put yourself out there. So this was wonderful, Sky. Thank you for your time. I really Thank enjoyed you. getting to know more about you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I definitely appreciate what you're doing and um, telling these stories, which I think are so important. And I don't think they get told in a way that's typically, you know, robust and, you know, and, and long enough for you to really understand you know, what it's like and what people are going through. So I also super appreciate, you know, the duration of this interview and, and how you're handling it because they're big stories, you know, everyone's got a big story. So appreciate